Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Good morning, friends. I hope that you will indulge me in telling you that my heart is glad this morning. You see, I was on sabbatical last semester, so this week marks the first time in about 23 months that I have been in this chapel for a service where anybody other than the altar party, musicians, and sacristans was physically present. Now, I acknowledge the sadness that there are those who still cannot worship in person, and I look forward to the time when truly all of us can return as fully as we wish, without masks even, will that day ever come? But I feel that I must also testify to just how good God is for allowing me to be in this particular house of God as one of the people of God just one more time. There are many things that I used to take for granted before COVID, but now I see how precious they are. I don't know if any of you can identify with that or not, but I, for one, want to say thank you, Jesus, for the gift of gathering to worship Almighty God on this crisp February morning in the year of our Lord, 2022. I cannot say, of course, exactly what the weather was like on that day, roughly 2,000 years ago. It was a day when a young couple went up to the temple in Jerusalem to present their firstborn son to God and to have the ritual purification of the mother. The Gospel of Luke does not happen to offer those kinds of external details in this episode, but Luke's recounting of that particular day and all that precedes it opens the door to imagine just a bit about what was going on in the inner worlds of Mary and Joseph as they made that trip. Let us recall some familiar parts of the story. First of all, Mary had gotten a pretty good scare from the angel Gabriel, who came to proclaim that she would have a child by the Holy Spirit. She then goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who utters some pretty ecstatic words about Mary and the fruit of her womb. Mary herself becomes a poet on the spot, dropping some powerful verses about how God turns the hierarchies of this world upside down. The child is then born in a manger, and the young family is visited by shepherds who come bearing the news that this child is a savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. And we are told that Mary treasured all these words, all of these responses to Jesus, and she pondered them in her heart. 
So something tells me that by the time they were taking Jesus up to the temple, Mary and Joseph just might have been wondering what in the world they had gotten themselves into and what in the world might happen next. With all the unique experiences they had had, maybe they felt a bit of internal pressure to make these important rituals, make sure that these important rituals proceeded in a way that was customary under the law, to use a phrase from today's lesson. Perhaps they were hoping against hope that this would be a pretty normal moment in the life of their family. And in at least one sense, it was. Luke, in an incidental sort of way, lets us know that they did actually get to finish everything required by the law. But you see, some things had happened along the way that were anything but customary. Now hear me when I say this will not be a sermon about how the Spirit upends the letter of the law. I don't see the situation in those terms. What I see here is that the very presence of Jesus, his entry into this human flesh, his participation in human life and culture and community from the inside out, as it were, it is provocative. It initiates deep responses in us that reveal more about what we really think and who we really are. Simeon's and Anna's reactions to Jesus exude a faithfulness and an authenticity that is consistent with their long-standing commitment to God. Now, I imagine that somebody in that temple looked around hoping that these two would be made to sit down and shut up. Somebody probably rolled their eyes, thinking that perhaps Anna was getting a little senile and Simeon was uncouth. But their words carried a certain truthfulness and power that I suspect no one around them ultimately dared to deny. It wasn't that the rituals no longer mattered, but rather, in the presence of Jesus, a new word could be spoken that intensified the ritual significance. A new word that said, these laws that you have been keeping, these customs that you have been guarding, this faith that you have been teaching, they have birthed and they will nurture this child, this very child, who will redeem the whole wide world. Oh yes, the light of Jesus reveals sharpened perspectives on all of reality from the inside out and from the outside in, from the top to the bottom and from the bottom to the top, from the left side to the right side and from the right side to the left. In other words, as we used to say, every which away, the light of Christ is like that refining and purifying fire that Brother Malachi spoke about. It affirms us in those places that are turned towards God, but oh, it convicts us in those places that we would rather keep hidden, certainly from others and even from ourselves. We might try to duck and weave so we don't have to see the truth, but eventually God sends a messenger of one kind or another, a voice crying out in the wilderness 
that we cannot evade. And so it turns out that our feast today has to do not only with the presentation of our Lord in the temple, perhaps it has just as much to do with the presentation of our whole selves to the Lord. So I ask you, VTS, how are we presenting ourselves to God? As we embark upon another semester on this holy hill, as we present ourselves at this table day after day, I wonder, will we stop and pay attention to how God is moving within us and around us? I don't know, for life here can be so hectic. Following the examples of Mary and Elizabeth and Anna and Joseph and Zechariah and even the little John in the womb, will we allow ourselves to respond to the provocative presence of Jesus that reaches in and touches our very being. I don't know, for it can be so easy here to hide behind the mask of what's customary. Do we dare to look directly at all of the places that the light of Christ exposes in ourselves, in our relationships, in our VTS community? I don't know, for it can be so tempting to pretend that everything is okay. And sometimes we take a peek into those hidden places and we think to ourselves with Malachi, who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? Friends, the truth is that some parts of us will not endure and some parts of us will not stand. Ain't that good news? <laughs> Let's face it, it's about time for some things to fall, for some parts of us to, to fall, some parts of us that are susceptible to racism, to sexism, to heterosexism, to classism, misinformation, distortions, lies. The question is, Will we open our individual and collective hearts to receive the loving light of God's guidance as we come to this table day after day? Will we open ourselves to discern what parts might need to die so that the body can live and live abundantly? See, I want to be like Simeon and Anna, keeping the faith and actively waiting on the Lord waiting with confidence that God's glory will be revealed in the circumstances of ordinary lives in ordinary places. It is my prayer for this community, indeed for this troubled nation and world, that God will keep right on visiting us like a refiner's fire, that God will purify and refine us like gold and silver, until we present the offerings of our loves, our lives, and of our labors to the Lord in righteousness. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs>